So good to be together today. We look around and I see there are many visitors and for that we are so very thankful. We're glad you're here. We pray that as you're here you will find that everything is done in truth and in spirit and we pray that you will come back. We're always thankful for each person that makes it a point to be here. Now as it goes, I've got good news and I've got bad news and I know everybody wants to get the bad news out of the way first. So the bad news is Mike is in Carothersville, Missouri, speaking at a gospel meeting. So the bad news is he will not be here. But I have great news because if you'll go ahead and take out your phone, set your alarm to 5 o'clock, that should give you plenty of time to get prepared and to get back up here at 6 o'clock. Mike will be back this evening and he will be here to speak. So I encourage you, go ahead and make it a point to schedule to be back this evening at 6 o'clock. This morning, for the short time that we have, I would encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 26, because we will spend most all of the lesson in Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, we find Paul, who has been arrested. In Acts chapter 25, he makes his his plea to be sent to Caesar. He says, I don't trust you all to judge me. Go ahead and uh, send me on my way. At the end of Acts chapter 25, we have Paul that is there, and as they're, they're figuring out how are we going to send him, what are we accusing him of, they said, look, if we're going to uh, send a prisoner, you've got to have some accusations against him, and so we've got to trump up some charges. And so that brings us to Acts chapter 26, where they bring him before King Agrippa, and they're going to say, King Agrippa, we want your help in figuring out what charges we're going to write down to send with Paul when we send him to Caesar. So in Acts chapter 26, we find Paul's defense before the king. As you begin in Acts chapter 26, the very beginning, Paul is really kind of, I guess you would almost call it his introduction to the king, or his introduction to the case as he talks to the king. It's almost as though he's on trial. And he begins with the idea of my life speaks for itself. We're going to look at it from Paul's perspective. And the first thing we'll notice is Paul's life speaks for itself. Notice in verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretches out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. Verse 3, especially because you are expert in all the customs and questions which have to do with the Jews, and therefore I beg you, hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee, and now I stand and am judged for the hope and the promise made by God to our fathers. Paul begins by addressing the king. If you notice in verse 1, he was, he was told you're permitted to speak, and Paul stretches out his hands and he answers for himself. Notice in verse 2, Paul acknowledges the knowledge that the king has. You know, that's important. If you want someone to listen to you, 
sometimes it's first good to start out by recognizing them. Oftentimes with speakers today, they say, well, so-and-so is a speaker and he's got a doctorate and this and he's done this and this and this. They give a list of qualifications that say, this is why you're the one that's here speaking today. Now, as Paul gives his defense before the king, he says, it's a good thing that you're the one that is here that I'm giving my defense to because you know the law. Notice in verse 2, he says, uh, he was accused by the Jew. Uh, he was accused by the Jews, and in verse three, he says, "He's thankful that it's him because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with it." He recognizes the king's knowledge, but not only does he recognize the king's knowledge, but he pleads for full attention. At the very last, in verse three, he says, "Therefore, I beg of you to hear." me patiently. Now I know my wife said she was watching online, but I can still go ahead and tell because she's not here. But within, within my life, my wife would say I'm not really that good of a listener. Sometimes I give a huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But unless you catch the full story, sometimes you really miss the whole point. And I see that as the, the picture of what Paul is saying here. He says, please listen to everything I say. Listen completely, listen thoroughly, because if you just nod off and you quit paying attention, you're not going to catch where I'm going with it. You have to hear the whole story to understand what we get to at the end, and we'll see that within Paul's purpose, he really is just declaring the Christ. Through all of Acts chapter 26, he's going to be, be declaring that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and he is the one that the law points to. Now, if you look at, at Paul's points here, he points out that the, the king's a very sharp fellow. He points out that he wants his full attention, and then he begins by explaining who he is. Notice, my life speaks for itself. In verse 4, he said, my manner of my life Sorry, my manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. He said, you recognize that I lived it. And he takes it one step further and he said, I wasn't just a Jew, but in their, in their estimation, if you look at verse 5, the way that they looked at it, he was a Jew among Jews. He was the strictest of the Jews, being one of the Pharisees. At verse 5 he says, I was of the sect of our religion. I lived a Pharisee. Uh, he was very strict. He, Paul had striven to live according to God's law very strictly. You know, if you look back at Paul's life in Acts chapter 23, just a page or two earlier in your Bible, in verse 1, Paul points to his life. Understand that he'd been doing some terrible things by this point. In Acts chapter 3, Paul looked earnestly at the council and said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Even though he had been out killing Christians and doing all sorts of evil things, Paul said, look, I had done it with a true heart. I'd done it with a proper, proper motive, with the desire to do right. But his point being, my life, speaks for itself. Look back at my life and you'll recognize a person that wanted to put God first. And that's exactly what Paul's desire was, or Saul at that time, earlier. Now notice in verse 6 through 11, 
So he gets his introduction done with the king and he says, look, my life speaks for itself. And now he says, my hope is in God, verses 6 through 11. Go ahead and look at the very beginning. Verse 6, he says, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Who's he pointing to? He's pointing to way back. He says, our family, the same family that you claim, as you say, I'm a Jew, that's the people that I'm pointing to. He said, our fathers promised something better. There is a hope. I believe you could point directly back to Genesis chapter 12 where the promise is made. To Abram, he says, get out of this country. He said, go to a place where I'll show you. And he said, I will bless them that bless you. I will curse them that curseth you. He said, at the very end in verse 3, he says, and in thee shall all nations be blessed. He was going to make Abram a great nation. He was going to make him something great. We see that Judaism comes. We see through the Jews come the Christ. And that's what the hope is linked to. In verse 6, he says, I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made to the God of our fathers. What he's saying is, the promise way back in Genesis 12, through which we have hope as Jews, was really the fact of the Christ, and that's what I'm trying to bring you around to. So in Acts chapter 26, in verse 6, he looks back to the hope that is tied to God, that is tied to Christ. Now, as you go on in verse 7 and 8, we'll see that the resurrection is the hope of the old law. It it was looking forward to that resurrection. Verse 7, it says, To this promise are twelve tribes earnestly, serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? All right, there's this dispute among them about that of the resurrection. And Paul says, why is, it, why is it thought that it's so incredible? Why is it so mind-boggling that resurrection takes place? We have the resurrection of Christ, and as we teach the resurrection of Christians, as we teach the resurrection of the dead, how that they rise to something much better. He says, how is it that we're disputing about this how is it that you're amazed by this because the old law looked forward to a hope of something much better and that hope was the resurrection how we look forward to heaven how we look forward to being resurrected to live in eternity with the God who loves us now within within all this Paul points back to his earlier life go ahead and look at verse 9 He said, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul says, look, I was just like all these others. I hated Christ. I hated everything Christ stood for. I did everything within my power to bring down Christianity. I wanted to destroy it. I wanted to obliterate it. I wanted it to be no more because Judaism was how he was raised. Judaism is what he believed he was linked to. 
Now, just as we looked at earlier in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, notice that Paul did it in good conscience, meaning he didn't have any ill will. He wasn't doing this to go against God, but he was doing it because he thought he was doing right. In going out and killing Christians, he thought he was doing God a favor, so to speak. And I want you to understand that the wrong action can come from a good heart. But the wrong action only comes from a good heart if the truth is not known, if the knowledge is not there. In John chapter 16 and verse 2, there was kind of warning about Paul. There was warning that, well, Saul, really? There was warning about Saul who was going to be out to kill him. It says, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he does God service. They'll think they're helping God out. They're thinking God's going to say, thank you for going out and killing these Christians. And that wrong action came about even though they had the desire to do right. I encourage you today to make sure that your actions are proper, not just in desire, but in truth. If you look at Acts chapter 17 and verse 11... It says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. What they're saying is, Jared stood before me last Sunday and Jared taught a lesson. And after Jared was done, I went home and I checked because I don't trust Jared. And if that's what you do this week, I say, amen. Good, that's what you're supposed to do. Don't trust me. Check the scriptures to see whether the things are so. Check the scriptures to see whether or not what we practice is the truth. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, he gives the, the understanding of why you shouldn't have to be worried about doing wrong deeds. And it says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We're set free because we live according to God's word. By God's design, we can know what we are doing is proper. We can know what we are doing is helpful to God because it's according to the scriptures. Now, even amongst these sins that Paul committed, as you look at verses 9, 10, and 11, we see all these things that Paul did in order to destroy the church, in order to destroy the Christ, in order to eliminate Christianity. Within all these, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he, looking back on his life, talks about the the hope that still remained for him. Amongst all his sins, there still remained a hope. Notice in verse 13, it says, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, he said, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And notice, he says, of whom I am chief. He said, I was badder than the bad. The baddest one was me. I was the chief of all sinners. I was out to kill the Christ rather than to further Christianity. And yet, for Paul, there remained hope. I tell you today, if you feel like there's no hope because of your past, if you feel like there's no hope because of your sin, under, understand that Paul said, I was the worst of sinners. I was the chief of the baddest people in the land. And he said, there is hope for me. 
So we see, first off, Paul points to, my life speaks for itself. Look at my life, king. Then he goes on and he says, my hope is in God, even though I lived a terrible life. And next, I want you to notice in verses 12 through 18, he says, king, notice my conversion. Notice how I changed. Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 12. While thus occupied, meaning while I was at my job persecuting and destroying and killing Christians, he said, while I was thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, the holy people had sent me. While these biblical, these... In our days and age, it would be the preachers. When the the preacher sent me, you've got somebody that they respected because of their study of God's word, they had sent him on a journey and noticed still his action was wrong. What he was doing was wrong even though the preacher had sent him. Beware of preachers. Beware of false teachers. Beware of anyone that tells you what to do because we've got to look at the book and find out what God would have us to do. Notice, continue on in verse 12. While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me And those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen, or when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now in verse in verse 13, we see the brightest light you ever did see. I think of the phrase blinded by the light. You know, in my lifetime. There was a time when I was young and my dad was teaching me to weld and he said, now never look when you weld. You always have to put on your mask and never, never just weld without a mask on. Well, somewhere along the line I had decided that I could weld without, without that mask on and I woke up in the middle of the night and my eyes burned something terrible. I couldn't see a thing. I walked to the bathroom and I thought I was blind. I turned on the light and I still couldn't see and I knew I was blind. I had seen the brightest light that I had ever seen. Now the problem is, in Acts chapter 26, Paul didn't have a welder. So what did he do? He linked it to the brightest light that they knew of. He said, at midday, what's really bright at lunchtime? The sun. It's the brightest thing that they could have looked at any time within their lifetime. And he says, at midday, O king, on the road, I saw a light from heaven. And he says, it was brighter than the sun. The brightest light that ever did shine appeared to them. I imagine being Paul. Being Paul there on the road or one of the people with him and you're blinded by this this bright light. I would say, you have my attention. You've got me. Whatever you want to say, I'm listening. Verse 14, And when he had fallen to the ground and heard the voice speaking to him, speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, language, sorry. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I see, see Paul in verse 15. I picture him in my head ready to cry. He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. I picture Paul being... At this state, understanding, he said, look, I've done everything I can. Remember, he said he lived in good conscience. He'd done everything that he thought he could do to further God. And then he finds out it's Jesus. 
He's doing it all wrong. He's trying to kill the wrong people. He's trying to defeat the wrong thing. In fact, when it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What he's saying is, you're fighting a losing battle. You cannot win this thing that you think you're doing because Christ cannot be destroyed. But notice within his conversion, it didn't stop there. In verse 16, we're going to see that God sends him forth with purpose. He says, but rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. He's got a purpose. You know, before this, he thought he had a purpose in destroying Christianity because he was doing it for God's sake. And now he has a purpose because he goes out on exactly the contrary. He makes an about face, and now he's professing Christ to the world. What exactly is it that he's doing within his ministry? Notice verse 17 and 18. It says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send to you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. All right, he said, you've got a bigger purpose now. You've got something that's far more important than what you've been doing because now you're going forth to turn people from what is wrong, to turn people from darkness, to bring them to the light. I think it leaves me in awe as you see that, that Paul comes in, he's blinded by the light, and now his goal is to go forth and turn people to the light. We see a new purpose to turn men from darkness to the light. Within being a Christian today, take note. The same job that Paul was given is the job we take on, the responsibility we take on when we confess Christ, when we're baptized, when we have our sins washed away. It's for the purpose of sharing that gift with the world. By God's design, we all go forth with purpose. All right, we're going to have to speed it up a little bit. Go ahead and skip. Well, go ahead and look at the next, next point. Paul says, my message. This is my message for you, O king. Verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and through all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance. Show forth that they were changed. Notice, we've got Paul that's going out killing Christians, and now he goes out and preaches the idea of repentance. What is he doing? He's showing repentance. He goes from doing one thing to doing something else, and what he's actually doing is showing his own repentance. Because he was a changed man. And he says, you need to change. Just like me. In verse 19, we see him speaking. And I get the picture of God spoke and I listened. King Agrippa, do you take note? God spoke to me. He appeared to me. And now I'm listening and doing what God would have me to do. 
When you change your life, your actions show it. Paul's preaching it, and Paul's life is showing the change. Notice in verse 21 and following, he said, For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand, witnessing both to small and to great, saying no other things than that which the prophets and the Moses said would come. He said, the people that you respect, Moses, he said, I'm just following what they said was going to happen. I'm preaching Christ as they said he was going to come. Verse 23, that the Christ would suffer, that he would first rise from the dead and would proclaim the light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. We see the opening of the gospel as it's preached to the world. We don't have this special sect within the Jewish world where the children of Israel, the Jews, are the the chosen ones, the ones that receive that great blessing because now the blessing is open to mankind. Within all this, the point being to King Agrippa, remember back at the very beginning, he said, King Agrippa, you know you're very wise within the law. You know the law. You've studied the law. You've you've had it as a part of your life. And so therefore, his point is it's time to turn from the old law to Christ, which is not really turning from the old law, but accepting the old law and therefore becoming a Christian because that's the purpose of the old law. We see God has shown through the prophets and the signs. It says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will, it was proven that this was the Christ. It was proven through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the, the miraculous deeds that took place, that the old law was coming to expire because the new law has now taken force. The Gentiles are also welcomed. This further just proves the prophecy. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, at the very end of the verse it says, and all nations shall flow unto it. Talking about the church. It's not just going to be Jews anymore, but now we've got further explanation. We've got further information that just shows that the Old Testament, that the prophets, that Moses was pointing forward to the Christ coming. Within all this, we come to our conclusion, our closing comments to King Agrippa. Notice in verse 24, It says, now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. All right, we see someone that didn't listen. He said, you're crazy, Paul. Notice verse 25. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. I want you to understand something about God's word. It's reasonable. If you will take it and you will read it, you will understand that the Word of God is sensible. It makes sense. Within God's design, there is purpose and there is hope. Notice in the following verse, in verse 26, he says, The proof is before you. Verse 26, he says, For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. 
What's he saying? He says, he knows the law that I pointed to. He knows Moses. He knows the prophecies. He knows that Judaism has all these things that it's looking forward to. He said, he knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention since these things were not done in a corner. Now notice back at the very beginning, he said, listen very closely. Like, I need your full attention for a while. And now Paul says, since I had your attention, he said, you know the truth. Think about it, King Agrippa. It's a big decision. The proof is standing before you. The question is, will you accept it? Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. He said, I know that you do believe. I know you believe the prophets. I know you understand. You can see the facts of this was Jesus the Christ. Now as we get into the next verses, you're going to see the saddest verses in all of Acts chapter 26. The saddest verses take place in the next two verses. Then Agrippa said to Paul, he said, You almost... Persuade me. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. That close. I'm hanging by a thread. He said, I'm almost there. Once again, I see the picture of, picture of Paul as he's standing there bound by chains. And I don't think he's sad about chains, but I do see a picture of him being torn up. His heart is broken. Verse 29, Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. What he's saying is, I want you to be a Christian. I want you to follow Christ because there is hope in Christ. I just gave you the message. I showed you, O King, how I changed my life when Christ appeared to me on the road and I'm telling you, you need to change your life. I want to ask you today, if you're not a Christian, why not? Do you understand that King Agrippa said, I was this close. I'm almost there, Paul. But I'm just not quite convinced that Jesus is the Christ. I'm just not willing to accept that Jesus is the Christ and turn from the life that I have lived because everybody respects me as a chief among the Jews. I want to tell you, just as Paul was there and he was on the road and he saw that great light, I want to tell you today, you need to follow the light. John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. I'm telling you today, follow the light. Believe in the light. But don't just stop there. The end of it, John chapter 8, verse 12 says, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Remember the point that, that Paul made to King Agrippa? He said his purpose was to turn people from the darkness to the light. Turn them from the power of Satan to God. The point being, not only do we need to follow the light, but in order to follow the light, we have to leave darkness. What I'm talking about is repentance. First, we have 
following the light, coming to believe, to understand that Jesus is the Christ, we come to a point where we say, I'm changing my life. We call it repentance, being willing to confess Christ just as the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, and verse 37. I believe if King Agrippa had went on to say he was further than almost persuaded, he was altogether persuaded, he would have said, I believe Jesus is the Christ. And I have no doubt, just as Saul was told in his conversion, if you look at Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, it says, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I have no doubt, just as Paul was told to change his life, to be baptized, to have his sins washed away, he would have said, King Agrippa, if you believe, you need to change your life right now by being baptized, by being immersed so that your sins can be washed away. I ask you today, are you going to follow with King Agrippa? Or are you going to be obedient to the message of Paul? If you haven't given your life to Christ, make a change this morning. I never want to hear, I was almost persuaded. If you're almost persuaded today, I beg of you to be altogether persuaded and change your life. Please come as we stand and sing.